When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome into the hard count. About a few seconds ago, before we're ready to go on air, five-star edge Dylan Stewart commits to South Carolina. We have a ton to break down. We're going to break that down here in just a few minutes with Josh Newberg, national recruiting analyst for us here at On3. Yeah, a lot to break down. You're going to talk about year one head coaches. Just how long will it take for them to eventually compete for a conference title? We got Coach Prime. We got Matt Rule. We got Hugh Freeze. We got Luke Fickle. There is no shortage of new faces at new locations, but how long is it going to take for them to compete for some hardware? We will break it down. Y'all know how we do it here on The Hard Count? This is the People's College Football Show. We would not be the People's College Football Show if we did not involve the people into the show. So with that being said, went to Twitter and asked y'all, what would be some of the most shocking and surprising headlines we could experience throughout the college football season? I was not asking y'all to call your shot for who was going to win a national title, though one of y'all did that and we'll break it down. I was asking, hey, week to week, from late August to early January, what are some of the headlines that we're going to see? They're going to ruffle some feathers and maybe cause a little bit of surprise. Y'all answered in full force, as you always do. So thank you for that. Going to break those down as well. Dan Lanning, I don't know if y'all saw it yesterday. Uh, Dan Lanning straight up stepped in the paint and just full 360 windmill dunked all over Colorado. Someone asked him, what was your reaction when you heard Colorado was leaving for the Big 12, leaving the Pac-12, and just bold face looked right in the camera and said, I had no reaction. Have they won anything in a while in the Pac-12? I don't think so. Thing is, he's not wrong. But with the nature of what Colorado is right now and with Coach Prime there and with what Oregon hopes to do in 2023, got to unpack this one a little bit because if I'm an Oregon player, hearing my head coach say that fires me up. I'm ready to run through a brick wall for Dan Lanning if I play at Oregon. Also, we, we had Dylan Stewart commit a few moments ago. Going to break that down. Uh, KJ Bolden is set to commit right here on the On3 YouTube channel. So make sure you're subscribed. I don't want to break down the intel or all that. Make sure you're subscribed to this channel so you can find out where he goes. One, two, so you can stay up with all that via the Inside Scoop hosted by Josh Newberg. Just dropping bangers every single week for you. Where's, where is the most impactful spot for him to potentially land up at? A couple of schools I want to break down that are getting the most buzz for him right now. But again, he's going to announce right here on the On3 YouTube channel. To end this thing, going to talk about the pulse of the program. Moving on to Norman, Oklahoma today to talk about what's going on with the Sooners, what's the pulse internally of that fan base, what's the pulse within that building as they head into year two of the Brent Venables era. All right, we got a lot to unpack. You have a lot going on. There is a lot on your plate in this wild thing that we call life. I want you all to just chill out for a second. We're just talking college football. Some of y'all listen at your internship. Some of y'all listen at your job. Some of y'all listen at school as you head back to school. God bless you for that. Summer was a great time. But all I'm trying to say is relax. We're talking ball. Thank you for being here. Can't waste too much more time because time is of the essence. As Dylan Stewart committed like 30 seconds before we went on air, Josh Newberg is down here at the studio. He's about to do some work, kind of get ready for his show. When we say, Josh, uh, Dylan Stewart just committed to South Carolina. Can you jump on live? Josh is a pro's pro. 
he says, where do you want me to sit? Line the camera up. Let's get after it. So without further ado, welcome on national recruiting analyst for on three, Josh Newberg. Josh, one, thank you. Two, how are we doing, man? Man, what a morning it's been. We didn't know this was coming. Well, Dylan Stewart had insinuated that he was going to make a decision before August ended, but he also had said at times that he was going to take this thing the distance. So we didn't really know, but as more chips started to fall this summer, Dylan Stewart committing to South Carolina is not a surprise. Now, maybe the timing of it all is a surprise, but this has been trending in that direction. Now, there's a lot of people that didn't want to believe it was trending in that direction, but... If you follow the inside scoop and you also follow the visits, then you would know that South Carolina was in position to land the number two player in the country, Edge Dylan Stewart. I mean, it sounded like it was South Carolina and Ohio State going back and forth. And the pitch for Ohio State, it felt like you can kind of fill in the blanks for yourself there. Hey, Larry Johnson put a lot of guys in the league. Ohio State consistently had phenomenal defensive lines. What was it about South Carolina for for them to land Dylan Stewart? Josh, was it the relational side of things? Was it the SEC? Well, what was it that put them in position to land this commitment before the season even started? Of course, it's relationships. That matters a lot. But also, I think they convinced him that everything he needed was in South Carolina from friends, family, personal development, professional development, the coaches, the coaching staff there was going to be able to take care of him. He saw it all and he saw it many times. He visited South Carolina nearly double or triple some of the other schools that were even considered favorites to land Dylan Stewart. So this had been a long time coming. South Carolina just didn't pop up out of nowhere to land the number two player in the country, five star plus edge Dylan Stewart he goes six foot five 250 pounds huge wingspan he's been clocked at a four six forty he is an absolute freak at the edge position and South Carolina fans are partying on a Tuesday morning I mean how I mean they land Nicholas Harper from the DC area and now they land Dylan Stewart from that same area is South Carolina starting to maybe find themselves a little bit of a pipeline from DC to Columbia I mean there's a lot of good talent in that DMV area Josh Yeah they really are and they're finding their footing and last year when the Nicholas Harper rumors were going you know South Carolina was a team that everybody had in that top group but not a lot of people were giving the credit to them to be a finalist, to be able to close out on a five-star with all the attention, because Nicholas Harbor was one of the lone five-stars still remaining for that second signing day. So they had a ton of competition for him, just like they did with Dylan Stewart. And, you know, there was predictions made for Ohio State. There was pre- you know, When he went down to Miami, there was a lot of momentum that Miami would have a shot at him. Uh, he visited Alabama. He visits Georgia. He visits – he goes to Michigan – But in the end, it's Shane Beamer doing what Shane Beamer's been doing for the last 12 months, and that's recruiting and landing big-time gets like this one, Dylan Stewart. Absolutely unbelievable. Well, Josh, thank you so much for jumping on at the drop of a hat. Also, shout out to the production team. This news breaks. Grab a (laughs) South Carolina hat. One, tap you on the shoulder, get you in the studio, put a helmet behind you. Josh, last question before we get you out of here. How much of an impact do you see this having for South Carolina now going forward? Because they landed Nicholas Harbor last year pretty much at the very last minute you could land someone on the second signing period. Now they've got the five-star edge defender, Dylan Stewart, already committed, and they've got some runway here with the fall. Do you think this could maybe be a thing where they kind of use this as some momentum going forward, kind of some rocket fuel for the Gamecocks? Without a doubt. And they've already been doing a great job recruiting the trenches. They got a pair of offensive tackles in Josiah Thompson and Cam Pringle that are some of the best in the country. Now you flip over to the defensive side of the ball, you added Dylan Stewart. They're not done yet. They got their sights set on Daniel Hill, a running back out of Mississippi that they're 
battling Alabama for. And right now, if you're a South Carolina fan, you got to think that you can beat anybody on the tra- on the recruiting trail with Shane Beamer in his staff right now on this Tuesday morning where five-star plus edge Dylan Stewart is a Gamecock. Putting out the chest a little bit more if you're in Columbia today, kind of walking around with a little pep in your step. Josh, you're about to host a bunch of big-time uh, commitments here on the On3 YouTube channel. I want to give you a chance to tell the people about that before we let you go. Oh, yeah. We're fired up on Saturday. We're double-dipping. We have Amari Jefferson around 3 p.m. Then we have the five-star-plus safety, K.J. Bolden, number one safety in America. He will be committing live on the On3 YouTube channel at around 6 p.m., and then on Sunday, we're not done yet. We have Nathaniel Frazier running back out of California. Big time weekend coming up on the On3 YouTube channel. Guys, make sure you're all tuned in. Make sure you're clocked and locked. Josh, uh, thanks so much for jumping on at a moment's notice. You're the absolute man. Uh, I have a funny feeling we're going to do this again real soon. We'll have you on again Thursday. We'll break down KJ Bolden. Absolutely, J.D. But, have a great show. Uh, appreciate you, Josh. Again, Josh Newberg, the man, the myth, the legend, national recruiting analyst for us here at On3. Also dropping bangers weekly with the Inside Scoop. Would encourage you to subscribe for that as well as for the number of commitments that are about to happen right here on the On3 YouTube channel. Hey, thanks for everybody tuned in live right now. Thanks for everyone that was... Uh, just at the drop of a hat, jumping in, see Dylan Stewart commits and being able to roll with us here. Uh, uh, no huddle, no mercy is kind of how we're rolling right now. So thank you for that. If everyone could like the video that's tuned in live, a little thumbs up button under the picture. We'll get to over 100 likes. That'd be phenomenal. And we appreciate you in advance for doing that. Okay, so that was a little bit of an audible. Like I said, we're about 30 seconds to go to showtime. Dylan Stewart commits. You see the Hayes Fawcett bomb drop. You see the on three recruits bomb drop. And we're go time. So that was kind of how we got down to start the show. But I appreciate everybody being here. We talk college football exclusively year-round. If you like it on YouTube, we're here Tuesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Have some more news coming for you on the potential schedule for the fall. So would encourage you to be locked in for that. We're also on podcasts, though. If, if you like it on Apple, we're on Apple. If you're more of a Spotify person, we're on Spotify. You go ahead and type in The Hard Count with J.D. Pakel, and you're going to find us. Promise you. So thanks again for everybody tuned in live. Let's get to over 100 likes. That'd be phenomenal. With that being said, though, we didn't even tell y'all what day it is today. I like to usually put a tag on these. It's August 1st, Tuesday. The phenomenal year that is 2023. So now you know what year it is that Dylan Stewart committed. Uh, with, that, with that out of the way, let's keep on rolling here. There's a lot of year one head coaches right now in college football. You got Luke Fickle, you got Matt Rule, you got Coach Prime at Colorado, Hugh Freeze at Auburn, who's doing work on the recruiting trail himself. And it sort of got me thinking here, how long is it going to take these head coaches to get to competing for conference championships? And I want to make this clear too, not all first year jobs are created equal. What Billy Napier walked into last year at Florida was very, very different than what Brian Kelly walked into last year at LSU. And so I think we have to sort of assess these different jobs and these different coaching staffs in a different manner. But even with that being said, how long will it take for them to compete for some hardware? Let's start with Colorado. When I look at Colorado, you need to really evaluate what is going to stick from this transfer portal overhaul that Coach Prime has gotten underway in Boulder, Colorado. Because the people that are pro Dion and the people that are skeptics of Dion Sanders are yelling from the exact same point the people that are pro Dion are saying, well, he brought in a whole new roster. Never mind last year, 1-11. Forget about all that. It doesn't matter because he brought in a new roster. The skeptics are saying, yeah, he brought in a whole new roster. That's going to take a minute to mesh. Going to take a second for that to really get working and have that thing firing on all cylinders. But I think it's important to say this. It's fine to be transfer portal heavy, but I think it's also important to understand that anytime a player transfers, 
there is a reason behind that transfer. For me personally, I jumped in the transfer portal as a graduate transfer. I had one more year to use. I had graduated from my school, and I wanted to go play somewhere else and get a different college experience. Some kids jump in the transfer portal because of you know personal reasons with the family. Maybe they have a coaching staff change. Maybe they fit better in a different system. Like there's a lot of really real reasons to transfer. Now, with that with that being said, there's also a lot of negative reasons for kids to transfer. Maybe he wasn't a culture fit. Maybe he wasn't going to get playing time at this other school. He wasn't good enough to make the cut. And so for Colorado, I think you probably have a mix of real reasons and reasons that maybe you have to, I don't know, make an excuse for is the right way to say it, but some reasons that maybe would be on the less positive side. So for Colorado, they are throwing a ton at the wall. And make no mistake, what they did with throwing a lot of this at the wall is already better than what they had last season. I don't think Colorado only wins one game in 2023. Spoiler alert. But even with that being said, with what Coach Prime is doing right now, it it might take a second for us to figure out exactly what hit rate he has in the transfer portal with over 50 guys coming to his roster. Now, I will say this, though. Going forward for Colorado, the Big 12 and the move for them to that conference is going to boost them from a recruiting standpoint. Because no longer do you have to tell kids about what they're going to have to do with the broadcast perspective with the Pac-12. And hey, that's too bad. Your mom and dad want to watch you play. They better make sure they have the right streaming package. You want to watch us play? Turn on ESPN. Turn on Fox. That's a boost for them. Also, Coach Prime, he's got ties to some of the most talent-rich states. Not far from California, being in Boulder, Colorado. He's got ties to Texas, lived there for a long time, coached there for a long time at the high school level. He's from the state of Florida. Like He's got his bases covered from that standpoint. But I think with what he walked into at Colorado, there's going to be a settling period. There's going to be a second for this roster to kind of, you know, filter out who's going to stay and who maybe isn't the guy that you want starting for you on Saturdays. Got a lot of pieces, though. Shadur Sanders, I think is going to surprise a lot of people. Travis Hunter, undeniably one of the best athletes in college football, was a top recruit coming out of high school. There's no secret with that. But it might take a second for all 22 to get on the same page with this staff and get it corrected. So when I look at Colorado, I think it's fair to say by year three, then we can accurately assess what Coach Prime is going to be. By year three, I think you can start to talk about, depending on the track record from year one to year two, okay, now we have a real picture as to what we can compete for at Colorado. At that point, I think it's Coach Prime's team. So for Colorado fans, for those of y'all watching Coach Prime and what he's got going on, Give it three years is what we're trying to say. Give it three years. Now, Wisconsin and Luke Fickle, very, very unique situation he's walking into because a lot of the time, not majority of the time, but a lot of the time, you have a head coach walk into a new job where a coach was fired and it is just a dumpster fire. Like you got to tear out the foundation of the house. You got to knock the whole thing down and start over like what Coach Prime is doing at Colorado. Now at Wisconsin, that's not the case. This is a team that won a bowl game last year. This is a team that still has some pretty decent talent on the roster. Braylon Allen being one of them, grown man running the football for them. They've got some pieces here. I think the roster and the culture has some solid bones to it. So when when you look at what he could do going forward, Wisconsin isn't building in the most brutal conditions in the Big Ten West. It's the Big Ten West, not the AFC West. Okay, they, they don't play Michigan. They don't play Penn State. Their toughest game is against Ohio State. And when you look at the Big Ten West in the last year of, the, of what, you know, the Big Ten having divisions, Wisconsin has a very real path to getting to Indianapolis and playing for a Big 12 title, Big 12 title, for a Big Ten title. Last year, 
Purdue won the Big Ten West. Guess what their record was? Eight and four. Luke Fickle and company, they have a, I believe the over-under win total for them in Vegas is somewhere around eight and a half, nine wins. They have a very real chance to get to Indy and to play for a Big Ten title. Now, do they win the Big Ten title? Is their roster at a place where they can beat a team like Michigan or beat a team like Ohio State or, heck, Penn State? Should they come out of that side of the Big Ten? I don't know. I think it's a little bit too soon to make any definitive statement about that. But I think it does come down to, for them, the efficacy of the new pieces they've added. And I'm not just talking about on the field. They went and added a quarterback. They went and, well, a couple quarterbacks. They went and added who their starting quarterback's going to be in Tanner Mordecai. They went and added four new wide receivers via the transfer portal because of what that new game plan is going to be under Phil Longo. They're going to be balanced. Don't get it twisted. But they're going to throw the football a lot more than what we've seen from Wisconsin in the past. Still going to have your neck rolls. Still going to have your tight ends. Still going to have your tough run game. But they're going to try and throw the football around the yard. How well that works in Luke Fickle's first year, I think, determines how far they can go in year one. But I already told you, for Luke Fickle and company, I think the first year that he's there, I think they can very much so compete at least, maybe not win, but they can compete for a Big Ten title. And there's a lot made about the new Big Ten next year with USC and UCLA joining the party and no more divisions. And absolutely, that's going to, in some way, shape, or form, impact Wisconsin. You would imagine USC is probably near the top tier of the Big Ten. You have USC and probably in the top tier in, in the Big Ten. Uh, I think I just said USC twice. You have USC, Ohio State, Michigan, probably all in that top tier within the Big Ten, probably Penn State as well. But I don't think you see Wisconsin just fall off a cliff with adding USC to the party there. So with that being said, I like where Wisconsin sits. I like where Luke Fickle is. And I think that this could be a year where they really make some noise in the Big Ten. And if they do, that's going to be crucial for what they do on the recruiting trail. If they can keep adding talent, with the way this conference is changing, watch out for Wisconsin. Again, I think you can expect competitiveness for the Big Ten title in 2023 in Luke Fickle's first year. Now let's move on to Auburn. Hugh Freeze has proven very, very clearly he's not playing with y'all. Like, look at what he's done on the recruiting trail. He's flipped two five-stars, one from Bama, one from Georgia, and right now is just absolutely swinging away in the transfer portal added over 20 guys and for Auburn we probably talk about them totally differently if they're in a different conference like how do we talk about Auburn if they're in the Pac-12 are we talking about them maybe having a chance to win that conference if they're in the ACC or the Big 12 we're like ah, oh, where are they in the top tier in those conferences but the unfortunate reality for the good people in Auburn Alabama they're in the SEC and with what Hugh Freeze inherited from a roster and from a talent perspective he got a broken boat. There was holes in the bottom of it. The sail was kind of torn up. And so he sees that and says, I need some more tools. I need better talent. Goes to the portal, adds a bunch of players, adds Peyton Thorne to probably be his starting quarterback this coming season, and is trying to put it all together. Now, that'd be one thing if you're doing that and putting the boat out to sea in the ACC or in the Pac-12 or one of those conferences, but you're doing it in the SEC. You're doing the revamp and the rebuild and the fixing of a roster that I'm using as a boat here. You're trying to put together a boat within a monsoon. That is the SEC. Like, that is a very tall task. And even though he infused a ton of talent, the several million dollar question is how does that mesh in year one? Same thing we said about Wisconsin. How does that fit together in the first year at Auburn? Because I'm not questioning the talent. I'm not even questioning Peyton Thorne. I'm not questioning all the guys they brought in. But even with how they could hit the ground running at Auburn, there's still the question of depth. 
Because behind these 20-plus transfers they added, I don't know that you feel enormously confident about the guys behind them. They've got to have some guys really step up here. Now, sometimes adding a new staff to the mix can equip some of those other players to step up and to be able to you know, be better. But even with that being said, I think for Auburn, it's going to take a second here. I love the direction. I love what they're doing on the recruiting trail. Heck, if they, let, if they land K.J. Bolden going forward in the 2024 cycle, like what do we say about Auburn in a couple of years here and the direction they have with talent under Hugh Freeze? I love the direction. I don't love 2023 for them to be the year where they just pop up and beat a team like Georgia or beat a team like Alabama and compete in the top tier of the SEC. So for Auburn, I like another cycle for them. Get them another cycle of transfer portal guys. Get some of those recruits in-house. Give Peyton Thorne another year as a starting quarterback. Let it sort of run its course a little bit here. Let's get a little bit more footing at Auburn, and then we can start to talk about what they're going to be in the SEC. So for Auburn, give them at least two years is what I would say for, for Hugh Freeze. Now, Matt Rule potentially could be the most interesting coach in this whole discussion. Really quickly, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you like the video. Everybody tuned in live. We appreciate you. We got over, I mean, we got triple digits of y'all tuned in live, so thank you for that. Make sure you like the video, and we'll keep on rolling here. So thank you for that. All right. Now, Matt Rule, like I said, fascinating. Because when he was at Temple, when he was at Baylor, both of those situations were down bad. I mean, especially Baylor. There, there were people that wanted Baylor football to get the death penalty. And he walked into that. Took him three years to get him to a Big 12 title appearance. That's typically been his track record. Year three is really that big pop year for Matt Rule. Now, Two things are interesting about Nebraska and about college football right now. One, Nebraska is in a better roster situation than both those schools were when he took them over, both Temple and Baylor. Also, the transfer portal exists in a way it did not when Matt Rule was at Baylor. I understand it existed, but the, the, the fluidity and the mobility for players to move schools and to play right away, like that's something that Matt Rule hasn't been able to utilize yet in the college game. So my question for Nebraska and how they revamp under Matt Rule how long, I'll, I'll rephrase that, what is the jumping off point for them is a good gauge for how long it's going to take. Because this year is going to be fascinating with, do they win six games or are they a team that somehow pops and wins eight games? Do they fall back down and win five games? Like, what is the jumping off point for Nebraska? I don't even think the people at Nebraska know. Vegas has got them at six wins, but even so, man, there's so much here for Nebraska that is unknown. What is Jeff Sims going to be? What does that new defense look like under Tony White? What does Marcus Satterfield do for them as the OC? I don't have a question about the long term for Nebraska, but I think year one is the first page of the story that we have to get down. Now, I would also say this. It's not getting easier as the Big Ten expands. USC and UCLA joining the party. And for Nebraska, previously, it was you just got to win the Big Ten West. We talked about it for Wisconsin this coming season. It's an ideal spot to be at when it comes to your path to getting to a Big Ten title appearance. But now, you go from just having to be the, the best team in the Big Ten West to having to be one of the top two teams. And the unfortunate reality for where the Big Ten is right now for Nebraska, or where they're going to be, is you have to be the top two in a conference that probably has the top four or five already, spo already spoken for with Ohio State, USC, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin's probably somewhere in that top five. Penn State's probably somewhere in that top five. Like, you see what I'm saying here? That makes the mountain just a little bit more steep. So depending on the jumping off point this coming season, depending on their success in 2023, I could see year two 
being a year where Matt Rule and company kind of get it together and we see another portal class get in there and we see his culture really get in there and Nebraska makes a run at this thing, I would be more conservative. I would say let's give Matt Matt Rule three years. That's what his track record has been at different stops. I think that's what it's going to take as the the Big Ten sort of reshapes. Let's give Matt Rule some time, and uh, we'll see where Nebraska is after this first year. What's the jumping off point for the Cornhuskers? Even so, man, a lot of big-name head coaches all across the country that are going to take their first hack at it at a new location. So I'm excited to watch that. I'm excited to see what those schools look like at the end of the year. Hugh Freeze now, man. Keep an eye on them. Keep an eye on what they do here. Maybe maybe not this year, but as they get rolling here, the talent, the new floor he's installed at Auburn, I think it's worth talking about. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. As we always say, if you're watching live, I'm going to ask two things. One, if you could please subscribe to the channel, we would greatly appreciate that. Y'all have been crushing it on the YouTube front as of late, as we get closer and closer to the season. It's not us over here. It's not the content. That's y'all. So thank you for that. Two, if you could like the video. Right around 50 likes right now. Let's get over 100. I already know it's going to happen. I have no reservations, but I'm just going to go ahead and ask and, and throw a friendly reminder if y'all could like the video. That would be phenomenal. So thank you in advance for that. All right. Now, we say this a lot. You can't call yourself the people's college football show and then not involve the people in the show. Just not. That doesn't make sense, right? So with that being said, went to Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at JD Pacquiao. And I asked y'all, what would be some of the most surprising headlines that you could see us getting in the 2023 season. And so without further ado, let's just jump into that because we got a lot of great headlines from y'all. And the first one is, is coming out of the gate hot. All right, we got from college football hullabaloo for y'all, which is a hilarious handle. Shout out college football hullabaloo for y'all. He says LSU is winning the natty. That's his headline. And y'all, if this were to happen... The impact, the ripple effects this could send across the college football landscape cannot be overstated. For starters, that means that Brian Kelly kept the second-year LSU head coach national title streak alive because you got Kim Mulkey winning it with the women's basketball. You got the baseball team winning natties, and, and they all did it in their second year. So then you would have Brian Kelly joining that club, which is kind of a fun footnote. And it means a lot of things that are obvious. It, it probably means Jaden Daniels was balling. This conversation around him stretching the ball vertical and the offense being explosive, like that probably happened if they win a national title. The defense was continuing to be elite. That's likely what happened. You probably beat Georgia and Alabama, if not splitting. You probably beat both of them. I would imagine you beat somebody like a Michigan or a Georgia for a national title, so who knows how many times you had to beat Georgia. But for LSU, I think what's most important about this headline, if this were to happen... It means that they had a championship culture solidified in a ridiculous amount of time under Brian Kelly. Because last year we talked about it a lot. Oh, what LSU team are we going to get? Are we going to get first half of Auburn LSU? Are we going to get LSU that played against Bama? Are we going to get the LSU against Texas A&M? Like, which LSU team is showing up today? And if they were to put it together in just the second year under Brian Kelly, I think that would create something that would be scary for the rest of college football because I think that would mean they have something sustainable. That means it was internal with the locker room. That means it was player bought in. That means you have leaders in that locker room that are going to cultivate more leaders, and then this machine really gets rolling. So if they win a national title in 2023, that is just the tip of the iceberg for LSU and for Brian Kelly. I truly believe that. I think that's not the last one he wins at LSU going forward. 
Spoiler alert, I think he's already going to win one at some point in time in Baton Rouge, but that's neither here nor there. Now, this is another thing that's interesting about this. If they were to win a national title, think about what this would mean for Brian Kelly. Because he left Notre Dame, and there was so much made about him leaving Notre Dame, and so much that he said, essentially saying, hey, I didn't have what I needed in Notre Dame. He didn't say it that bluntly, so I'm going to say it for him. He didn't have what he needed to compete with the Bamas, with the Georgias, with the Ohio States, the Michigans. He didn't have that at Notre Dame. Resource-wise, recruiting-wise, all that. He was kind of handcuffed a little bit. And so the heat that he took leaving Notre Dame, it it was hot, all right? There was a lot thrown his way about leaving Notre Dame. If he wins a national title in year two at LSU, that means Brian Kelly and the bet that he made on himself— All that he said he needed was right. That means he made good and he cashed in on his bets. You would have to love that for Brian Kelly, unless, of course, you are a fan fan of the Fighting Irish in South Bend. So a lot to unpack there, but if LSU wins a natty, the impact of that on the college football landscape would be enormous. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. Like the video, subscribe to the channel. KJ Bolden committing on this channel. Make sure you're locked in. That's all I'm going to say. Now, Florida Sooner. Got at us and said, Oklahoma returns to the college football playoff partly due to a weak Big 12. Now, Oklahoma making the college football playoff, I don't think that's nearly as far-fetched as some people want to make it out to be. Because Brent Venables went 6-7 and seven, and there's so many punchlines and all the jokes made you know, about Oklahoma and all that they didn't achieve in 2022 and like I get that I understand that but they lost five games by one score meaning they were in the majority if not all of the games that they played one of those one score losses was to Florida State who's going to be a top five team to start the year so for Oklahoma if they were to make the college football playoff it means a couple of things it means the portal additions that they made defensively probably fixed that defense Defense was bad. No other way around it. Brent Venables knows that. That's why he went to the portal and added nine cats via the defense. It also means offensively, you probably saw Dylan Gabriel take another step in that offense. You probably saw his development under Jeff Levy and the time they've spent together. Probably see some dividends there. Even more importantly, you see someone on the outside at the wide receiver position, whether it's Jaleel Farouk, whether it's Andrew Anthony, you see somebody step up big time and be a go-to alpha dog wide receiver for them. Because that's how this offense is built now. That's how this offense is built. We're going to run the football. We're going to go fast. We're going to spread you out. We're going to win outside. We're going to strike up the band. That's how we get down to Norman, Oklahoma. That's what Jeff Lovey wants to do. And for them to be able to do that probably means they're averaging somewhere around 40 points a game, which is what every team that made the college football playoff averaged last year. Now, Oklahoma, they averaged over 30 last year. But that incremental bump to get to 40 points a game and see the defense improve, that's how they get to the college football playoff. Now, if they get to the college football playoff, probably means they won the Big 12. Now, our friend Florida Sooner is saying that he thinks Oklahoma making the college football playoff would say something about where the Big 12 is. Thinks the Big 12 could be maybe a little bit weaker. And I don't think it's impossible, but I would be very much surprised, which I guess kind of goes hand in hand with the exercise, if that were to be the case. Because to be real, I think Texas is going to be real good. I think Texas is going to be really good. And for Oklahoma fans, you probably want Texas to be good because you want to go through them. Now, do you want them to be good every single year? Uh, Maybe not. But you don't want the asterisk of, well, Texas was down bad. 
well, they had some injuries along that roster, and, and now we don't get to claim the 2023 season like we want to. No, no, no. You want Texas to be at their best, and you want to beat Texas. That's what rivalries are all about, baby. You want to take down your brother, and that's what it is. So for Texas, I think they're going to be good. I think you could see a world where Texas goes 11-2, and and they have two losses to Oklahoma, one during the regular season and one in the Big 12 title game. Heck, you could see Texas go 12-1 and and drop one game in the Big 12 title game, and maybe they're a college football playoff bubble team. Like, I don't know how that situation works out, but I actually think that the Big 12 is going to be a dogfight week in and week out. If Oklahoma does make the college football playoff, I don't think it'll be because of a weak Big 12 conference. In fact, I think the opposite. I think we look on Selection Sunday. Maybe you see Oklahoma's a one-loss champ in the Big 12, and we just say, yeah, but Big 12 was brutal this year. The Big 12 was wild this year. We'll take a one-loss Big 12 champ over a one-loss ACC champ or a one-loss Pac-12 champ. So I think, to answer your question, Florida Sooner, and to kind of commentate on this a little bit more, I think a strong Big 12 actually boosts a Big 12 champion like Oklahoma into the college football playoff. There's definitely a path. But again, requires the defense and those portal ads paying dividends and requires that offense having someone on the outside step up and be more explosive. So definitely a possibility, a lot more possible than I think a lot of people would like to acknowledge, to be real with you. Now, this is where it gets a little bit, uh, a little bit steamy, a little bit hot. Irksign on Twitter just called his shot, said Joe Milton gets benched. And this is one that we're going to get a lot of feedback on. And if Joe Milton does get benched, there's a couple of scenarios where this could happen. The first of which being, though, I don't think you would put all the blame on Joe Milton. And what I mean by that is Tennessee last year, they were a run-first football team. Jalen Hyatt's deep. He's just beating guys one-on-one, and those safeties have no chance to catch him because he's so fast, and Henry Hooker's dropping it in the breadbasket. That all happened, but it happened because they had a run game that forced that secondary to commit numbers to where you had real estate on the back end for Jalen Hyatt to just get loose like it was his job. Now, instead of saying Jalen Hyatt this coming year, you'll say Squirrel White, but the same fact remains. This offense, the batteries for this offense, are running the football. And one reason why I personally am so high on Joe Milton is I think they're going to allow him to play to his strengths. Like, I think they're not going to ask him to do a three-step drop and fit it in a tight window and make a bunch of NFL kind of throws where he's got to be on the money, on time, every single time. He may be able to do that, but his ability, his, his bag really, is his arm strength. Cut it loose, hit him deep, let's roll. So with that being said, if the run game isn't rolling how it's supposed to, and we take Joe Milton out of what he does well, well, then I think maybe Joe Milton could have some issues and could struggle, and that's any quarterback across the country should you take him out of their comfort zone. So that's the first scenario. The other scenario, and this is the one that Tennessee fans are probably most concerned with, is that plays are there, and those accuracy issues that people have sort of snickered at behind the scenes and you know, kind of had their, their doubts about Joe Milton. They're saying he's not going to be accurate. He's going to be overthrow Joe. All those punchlines. And so if that happens, yeah, if there's plays there and you're missing on him consistently and it's hamstringing us as a football team, well, then maybe you do have to have a conversation about moving on and starting the Nico era early. Now, there's a fraction of this fan base, probably a fraction of the college football public, that wants it to be Nico time in Tennessee. And I don't blame you because he's a phenomenal player. He's the number one player for us here at On3. But even so, he was the number one player for us here at On3 in the 2023 cycle, that is. But even so, 
I'd be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for because we all want to see the shiny new five-star hit the field and sling it around and, you know, the unknown is undefeated. But even so, man, for Nico, there's such a thing as playing too early. Two things can happen when you play too early as a quarterback. One, you can develop bad habits. You're used to playing high school ball. You're used to making plays and scrambling around and throwing it across the yard and throwing it back across your body. Like, whatever the habit is, if you have some success with that, you go back to it. And typically, the thing with bad habits is it works one time, so you think it's going to work a lot of the time, and that just becomes something you rely on. And then when it stops working and teams watch enough tape on you, then you're in trouble. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying it's a potential that you probably don't want young Nico to have to live in as a true freshman at Tennessee. The other potential issue is you get thrown in the fire too early. Maybe, you know, you're forced to play early from injury or in this situation, I guess Joe Milton's not getting it done. So you, you know, you, you force Nico in there. You can hurt your confidence a lot. Like if you go out there and you throw three interceptions as a true freshman against whatever opponent it is, you got people lighting up your, your Twitter mentions saying you're no good. You're a bust. And it's like, dude, he's been on campus all of like 45 minutes. We have no idea what he's going to be as a true freshman, but you get enough chatter around you and you're so young and you've got, you've got so many loud voices that can really start to eat away at your confidence. And when your confidence gets bruised, that's the thing that really takes the longest to recover in my estimation. So I'm not saying that Nico couldn't step in there and absolutely ball out. In fact, the opposite. I think he'll be a stud when it's his time to play in Knoxville. But I think right now it's Joe Milton's time. So if he does get benched, I think that will be something that Coach Heupel and the coaching staff has absolutely no choice but to make a different move within the quarterback room. So I don't think that will happen, but that's sort of my feel as to what the the situation could be should that headline become a reality. Now, J.J. McCarthy is the topic of our next one I want to talk about here. And our friend Sir on Twitter hit us up. He just called his shot here and says, J.J. McCarthy wins the Heisman Trophy. How about that now? J.J. McCarthy hoisting the little bronze statue in New York City. Place goes crazy. Probably gives a great speech. J.J. McCarthy, friend of the program, by the way. So, shouts out to him. It's easy to breeze past this headline and say, oh yeah, Michigan's probably going to be one of the best teams in the country. He's the quarterback for that team, so they're probably you know the, the one or two ranked team in the country. And yeah, he gets the award. Big whoop. No, 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 no. If J.J. McCarthy wins the Heisman, the impact of this would be enormous. Because think about who else is on that roster. Blake Corum, who probably would have, should have, could have been invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony a season ago had he not gotten hurt. The, the, I mean, Donovan Edwards is probably going to put up numbers as well. Like, the identity of this team a season ago was we're going to punch you in the mouth, we're going to run the football, and that's going to be how we get down. So if J.J. McCarthy wins the Heisman Trophy, that means this offense is playing a style of football to where he is able to put up just ridiculous kind of numbers. Because people say stats don't matter. They matter for the Heisman Trophy. All right? They, they matter for those that vote because you have a lot of people just sort of scanning box scores and you know, picking the quarterback for the best team. But if J.J. McCarthy doesn't have the stats, this doesn't happen. So in this situation, let's say he throws for over 3,000 yards and he throws for right around 30, 30 touchdowns. Maybe he's around 40 touchdowns. Like, if he puts up video game numbers, that means the offense is playing in a style to allow him to do that, which is crucial because we all talk about the next step for Michigan, and this would be it. 
having a dynamic, explosive, vertical passing attack, that would be the next step for Michigan. That would make them dangerous for the rest of the college football public. It would, I promise you. Because then you pair dynamic passing attack with elite run game. I don't know how you defend Michigan at that point, man. At that point, if Michigan and J.J. McCarthy are playing at this level, they're probably scoring well over 40 a game like they were last year, but they're doing it in a way to where you are just without answers in the pass game and in the run game. Because you can't add numbers to the box to try and account for Blake Corum because J.J. McCarthy is throwing for around 300 a game. And if he does that, this is the other thing I want to talk about here, it means that you had some weapons at Michigan step up and just be playmakers that are pass catchers for you. I'm talking Roman Wilson is unguardable. I'm talking about Colston Loveland. Looks like a matchup nightmare, and he takes that next step as a sophomore. Cornelius Johnson looks like the Cornelius Johnson that we saw against Ohio State. That would be the reality for Michigan, and that would also be interesting because that means you had multiple guys step up, so you couldn't just double one of them. Like, if it's just the Cornelius Johnson show next year at Michigan, that'll be cool. It'll last for a few games, but that's not a sustainable way for J.J. McCarthy to win the Heisman Trophy. If he wins the Heisman, multiple dudes stepped up and got after it for Michigan. Last thing I'll say about this, if J.J. McCarthy and Michigan are operating this way and J.J. McCarthy does win the Heisman Trophy, I have a very difficult time believing that Michigan is also not hoisting the national title trophy. I truly believe that. They've got so much up front, so much back on defense. If J.J. McCarthy is at a Heisman level, they will win the national title. Period. Mic drop. The end. We'll leave it at that, and I'm sure that the comment section will have nothing to say about that. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Last one we got here for you is from our good friend, Coach Riggs. And he says that Oregon State wins the Pac-12 in 2023. That is his headline. That would be a headline and a half because that means that USC didn't win it. It means Oregon didn't win it. It means Utah didn't do the Pac-12 three-peat. This would also mean that Oregon State, and wouldn't you know it, DJ Uwe Ungalale just sort of reinvented himself, got to Corvallis, Oregon, and went bananas little DJU special in Corvallis. It also means they probably overcame the 52% production they have coming back defensively. It's not bad, but it's not quite as much as you would hope for if you're trying to make a Pac-12 title run. Now, here's the thing. I want to go back to DJU. If he gets his storybook ending to where he rides off into the sunset with a Pac-12 title trophy, think about who that points the finger back at now. And the index finger now, no other finger. Points the index finger right back at Clemson. And I think also there's a lot of people that would owe DJ Uwe Ungale apologies because a lot of people said, oh, he's a five-star this, he's a five-star that, he gets to Clemson and look at what he did. Loses his job in the ACC title game. He wasn't good enough at Clemson. Where was this at Clemson? Well, then I think you start to say, well, he did it at Oregon State. What changed? Same quarterback. I'm sure he probably got in his bag in the offseason and really worked hard, but the system, I think, is what would get the most heat at Clemson. And I know now they have a new system and that OC is no longer there, but you hear what I'm saying now. There'd be a lot of people that would owe DJ Uwe Ungale apologies. Now, this is my gut feeling. If this were to be a reality, if Oregon State does win the Pac-12, people aren't going to like this, but I think that means that the Pac-12 gets left out of the college football playoff yet again. Because that would mean if Oregon State were to win the deal, I have a very difficult time believing that they get to the Pac-12 title game undefeated. I just I have a hard time seeing that. They play Utah, they play Washington, they play Oregon. No USC, but I mean, if Oregon State gets there, 
I don't know if they get there unblemished. I also don't know that you see anybody else in the, in the Pac-12 lose the Pac-12 title game to Oregon State and be undefeated and still find a way in. To, to, to get to the college football playoff from the Pac-12, got to be undefeated. So if it is what I think it's going to be this coming season where it's just gladiator style, you know, good luck to everybody else. But if Oregon State wins it, I think that would be a phenomenal storyline. I'd love that headline, but I think it does end up leaving the Pac-12 out in the cold when it comes to the college football playoff. Pretty sure everybody tuned in live right now. Also, we didn't say this from the jump, but happy birthday to On3, man. Two years. Two years this company has just been rolling. Now, we have been fortunate to be here for a small fraction of that, but I promise you one thing, man. We're excited to be on board as long as they will have us. This is a special company in the sports media industry. What Shannon Terry is building right now is unlike anything else in the sports media world. And I truly believe that the best is yet to come. So thank you to y'all for being locked in. And a huge thank you to everyone that contributes to what you're seeing right now here on this platform within the On3 network. It takes an absolute village. And I think we have the best village in the entire industry. So we'll leave it at that now. Everybody could like the video. We'll be over 100. That'd be phenomenal. Thank you for that. Also, shout out to the podcast crew, man. We got a lot of y'all locked in on podcast that are listening at your job, listening at your internship. I say it all the time. You got a lot going on, man. So for y'all to make time to make us a part of your day, we are very grateful for it and do not take for granted at all. All right, we'll keep this thing rolling now. Dan Lanning, dude. Dan Lanning, I don't know if y'all saw yesterday, catches the ball on the wing. Probably crossover dribble. Gets to the middle of the lane. Just rises, elevates, goes all the way back. Tomahawk dunks all over Colorado. Someone asked him, what was your reaction when you heard Colorado was leaving for the Big 12? And essentially, Dan Lanning just kept it a buck with him and said, I had no reaction. What have they won here? I'm paraphrasing, but that was pretty much what he said. I don't think they've won anything here in a minute. That's impacted the conference in any kind of way. So with him doing this, I mean, this is a big baller brand move. I tweeted out right after I saw this. If I'm an Oregon player and I hear Dan Lanning say that, I'm ready to go to war for him. And I'll say this, a couple Oregon players liked that tweet. So I think that they feel the same way. I'm hyped if I hear Dan Lanning say this. I'm an Oregon player. I'm absolutely jacked up because I've always said this. Your persona of your head coach leaks into the persona of your team. And to hear your coach speak with this much confidence, to hear your coach have this kind of swag, if I'm a player, I'm like, all right, coach has got swag, I got swag. Coach is confident, I'm confident. Coach isn't worried about this kind of move. Coach isn't worried about the rest of the, the, the Pac-12. All right, let's roll, baby. Let's get after it. And this kind of feels a little bit like there's something to do with Deion Sanders here. And I can't prove it. There's nothing being linked to it. It's just my own feel on it. So there was so much bravado out of Colorado with Coach Prime when he got hired there and about bringing his Louis luggage and just about the way he's operated and the YouTube channel. Like, I'm not here to speak on that. But I feel just a little bit like Dan Lanning can't wait to play Colorado. Because that was the punchline on Twitter yesterday, right? Oh, well, Oregon, Colorado, September 23rd. That's going to be awesome, man. That's going to be a great storyline, great game. Like, no. Dan Lanning and Oregon are about to throttle Colorado on September 23rd. And Dan Lanning knows it. <laughs> Dan Lanning is 100% aware that they have a better roster, more established roster, more built out. They're going to wax Colorado. Like, I know they're going to play. 
But this is not going to be a, oh, let's settle it on the field kind of deal. Like Colorado, I think Coach Prime's got something cooking there, and I think eventually they're going to be in good shape, and I think that moving to the Big 12 helps them. But even so, man, like Dan Lanning is talking his cash because he knows what they're about to do in the Pac-12. And I think Colorado was the subject of this whole you know, conversation, which makes sense. But I think even so, man, take Colorado out of it. This was an interesting peek into the Oregon psyche and where they're at right now under Dan Lanning. And it kind of made me feel just a little bit, it kind of reminded me just a little bit of where Michigan was before they started winning Big Ten titles, going into that Big Ten championship year. Like Michigan, they hadn't won the Big Ten title, but they were still talking like they were the bully. And for Dan Lanning and for Oregon, I think you need to see yourself as the bully before everybody else gets to see it. Like it happens behind closed doors, what you do in, in, in you know, conditioning in the weight room and your staff meetings, like you prove it to yourself in the mirror behind closed doors before anybody else gets to see it on the field. And Michigan knew that before they won Big Ten titles. I think Dan Lanning's acting that way before they go and do what they want to do in the Pac-12 this coming season. They have every reason to believe that they can do that. I mean, they got to shore up some pieces in that roster defensively, but you bring back Bo Nix, got a rock-solid culture. You got one of the best young head coaches in the entire country who you just re-signed, and Dan Lanning, I believe, knows that he's one of the best head coaches in the country right now based on, I think, how he carries himself. Like, I think Oregon feels like they're them right now. They feel like they're the bully. And so they're acting like it. And Dan Lanning, for, for him to say something like this, like the, the other punchline you're going to hear about this is, well, you know, the, the Pac-12 is probably going under. What's Oregon going to do? Like, I promise you, man, Oregon is just fine with all this realignment nonsense. And I say nonsense in a lighthearted way, but that's what it is right now. It's nonsense. Like, Oregon is going to end up just fine. Whether we get this matchup in the Big 12 going forward, whether Oregon goes to the Big 10, like wherever they end up, Oregon is not one of those schools that's hanging on for dear life on the boat that is sinking that is the Pac-12. Whenever Oregon wants to move to another conference, they're going to do so with ease. It's going to be fine, and they'll get a very big paycheck for doing so. So I don't think Oregon stays in the Pac-12, spoiler alert. But going to this season for, for Dan Lanning and for Oregon, I'm very excited for that Colorado game because it'll still be fun to watch the storylines going into it. And I promise you, Deion Sanders and his clapback will be nothing short of elite. But Dan Lanning and Oregon, they feel like they're the bully. They're making no mistakes about it. They're making no excuses about it. And that's how they're acting right now. And if I'm an Oregon player, again, I absolutely love this from the leader of my football team. Dan Lanning also, we had him on the show, one of the just nicest human beings that we got to speak to. Dan Lanning, a program guy through and through. Now, KJ Bolden is going to commit on this very YouTube channel here this weekend. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you got the clock set. Make sure you hit the notifications on the On3 Recruits Twitter page. Make sure you follow On3 on Twitter. Like I promised you, we're going to keep you in the know for all things KJ Bolden. And everyone's going to talk about the intel with this and, you know, where he could be headed and all that. There's a couple of schools that are getting the most buzz right now. It's Georgia, it's Auburn, it's Florida State, it's Ohio State. Like, where is it going? I don't know. I can't wait to watch, though. I can't wait to be locked into the On3 YouTube channel and watch that. But I think the impact of what he brings to the table here as the number one safety in the 2024 cycle is very fascinating to pay attention to. And so that's kind of what I want to do right here. I want to kind of unpack some of these schools and the impact that K.J. Bolden could have should he end up committing there. And Georgia's the school that 
is getting the most buzz right now. It makes sense. He's in state. Georgia is Georgia. He's taking the most visits there. And if they were to land KJ Bolden, yes, the rich get richer, but it also ensures that that secondary is going to stay stocked with the talent that got them to those multiple national titles previously. Now, you still have to develop him. You still have to put him in position to, put him in position to succeed. How early does he play? I don't know. It seems like a lot of five stars go there and kind of take their time. Not all of them, but some of them. K.J. Bolden, if he were to go to Georgia, just continues to, like I said, ensure that that secondary stays at a championship caliber, caliber operation. And I don't think that can be overstated. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you like the video. Make sure you follow me on Twitter and on Instagram. Again, cannot stress this enough. KJ Bolden is committing on this very YouTube channel. If you are subscribed, you will not miss it. I promise you, you will not want to miss it. Now, KJ Bolden was at Auburn this past weekend for Big Cat Weekend, which is Auburn's big recruiting weekend. And can you imagine what would happen if KJ Bolden ends up committing to Auburn? Can you imagine the Twitter timeline? Can you imagine the juice around Auburn and the Hugh Freeze era going forward past this season? Can you imagine where that puts them in the on-three team industry recruiting rankings? Like, that would be enormous. And the way that it would feel to me is it's K.J. Bolden putting an exclamation mark on what Hugh Freeze is doing right now. Puts an absolute signal fire out to the rest of the country, the direction of Auburn under Hugh Freeze. Because they're fighting to throw that roster together right now through the portal, and a lot of these guys in the you know recruiting trail are probably going to com- contribute for them early. I think KJ Bolden, what he would mean for them on the field, he would be huge for them to get on the field. In the SEC, especially, you have so many freak show playmakers running around. You need someone at the safety position that can you know help be a good tackler, but also be able to play well in the pass game, be able to match up with those big six foot whatever, six foot four, six foot five kind of tight ends. KJ Bolden, he's got good range. He's a ball hawk when it's in the air. He would be someone that I think plays sooner rather than later should he end up at Auburn. So he's someone that Auburn would would, would mean a lot for them on the recruiting show, but I think once he gets on campus, once it comes to playing on Saturdays, He's someone that I think would have a major impact for them. Now, Florida State, it's kind of a similar storyline with them. If Mike Norvell lands K.J. Bolden, this is a beat-your-chest kind of commitment that the Knowles would land. Because so much made about Mike Norvell mostly using the portal and the lack of juice they've had on the recruiting trail. And now, though, they've put something on the field that is a really solid product. They're about to, in my opinion, do something really exciting in 2023. And landing K.J. Bolden over schools in the SEC, out of the state of Georgia, that would be a moment where we always say, oh, okay, so this is what Mike Norvell is going to be at Florida State. So this is, this is now Florida State having some firepower on the recruiting trail. And if they can start recruiting like that in the southeast region in Georgia and then also kind of have some more steam in the state of Florida, like, Florida State now, the wheels kind of start turning, the machine gets some more juice, the steam starts coming off that thing, like then that thing kind of gets some more momentum. So is is it a game changer for them in terms of landing KJ Bolden on the recruiting trail? Yeah, I think it might be. You look at the safety position, I was talking to Josh Newberg before this show got rolling here, and he was telling me, he's like, listen, at the safety position to Florida State, a little bit thin. KJ Bolden, as talented as he is, again, the number one safety in the country, five-star plus kind of player, you probably ask him to play early at Florida State as well. He's not a guy that you probably see handing out 
Gatorade or, or Powerade, whatever it is at Florida State, on the sideline and walking up and down with towels. Like, no, no, no. He's probably on the field. At the very least, you have packages for him. Maybe he's a guy that plays day one, which we'll see what happens if he does go to Florida State and all that. But you hear what I'm saying here. His impact at Florida State would be immediate and it would be massive. Ohio State's the last thing we want to talk about here. And the the narrative, or not the narrative, the explanation for KJ Bolden to Ohio State speaks for itself. They run a 3-3-5 defense, meaning they play three safeties on the field at a time. In Jim Knowles' defense, you ask a lot of the safety position. No way around it. You do. Last year for Ohio State, some issues in the secondary. And they went to the portal and they tried to revamp that. They got some pieces in the secondary to add that. But if you could have a guy like K.J. Bolden on campus for at least three years and have him add a little bit more security to that secondary and, and allow him to develop in that system and be able to kind of be the quarterback of that defense, having a five-star plus number one safety in the country being the quarterback of your defense if you're Jim Knowles long-term, I think that would be exactly the position Ohio State would like to be in. So this may not be an exhaustive list. These are just some schools I wanted to talk about that I think deserve some chatter on the potential impact, but Georgia, Auburn, Florida State, Ohio State, if he were to go to any of those schools, would make any and all of those coaching staffs extremely happy, and the impact at all those schools would be enormous and I think would be relatively immediate. So keep it, up, keep it locked right here. Keep an eye on this YouTube channel. We will have KJ Bolden's commitment for you live. If you're subscribed, you'll be the first to know. All right, man. Over 100. Never had a shadow of a doubt. Was never worried about it. Took y'all less than an hour. So thank you for that. Cannot stress enough. Thank you for y'all contributing to this operation and continuing to tune in live and continuing to subscribe and continuing to like. Like that. That's sort of the currency for us in terms of being able to gauge y'all's locked-in nature of this. So thank you for that. All I want to say. Thank you for that. Now, one more segment before we get out of here. Uh, or rather get to y'all's thoughts and concerns, which is a good reminder. If you have not yet, get your questions, concerns, thoughts into Nick Brake, who is the keeper of the queue, who's about to join us here in just a few minutes. We're going to answer those in real time. So thank you in advance for getting those in. All right. The Pulse the Program series. Rolling right along to Norman, Oklahoma. Take a look at what's going on with the Sooners. Now, the Sooners are in a very interesting place. Very interesting place. I'm not talking about Norman, Oklahoma. I'm not talking about geographically them being an interesting place. Though Brent Venables did come on this show and went to bat for the great state of Oklahoma. Oklahoma as a team underachieved last year. No secret. The standard Oklahoma was way higher than what they got done last year. Went six and seven. You know, had five games they lost by one score. A couple of heartbreakers. Dylan Gabriel was dinged up at times. The defense was bad. Brent Venables was first year as a head coach. Exhale. Everybody is just exhaling now and understanding that there is a lot that happened last year that I think you can chalk up to growing pains. And you can chalk up to a coach having his first experience as a head coach. But the feel and the pulse at Oklahoma, the pulse of the program in Oklahoma, is just getting started. Because last year, we already talked about it. it it wasn't ideal. It wasn't what you expected. It's not acceptable. But there can be two things that are true about Brent Venables in his first year at Oklahoma. The first is, last year was well below the standard. We already covered that. The second thing that can also be true is you didn't hire Brent Venables to win you a national title in 2022. 
He didn't do that. We're all on the same page there. Hiring Brent Venables was a sustainable, long-term play for Oklahoma. Because when they brought him in, when they announced him as the head coach, there was a feeling across that fan base that, okay, we got our guy. Not a guy who's just going to be a good coach. Not a guy who's just going to win some football games here. We got a guy that fits what we are here at Oklahoma, who's tough, who's disciplined, who's going to have a physical product on the field, who's going to play defense, who's going to be hard hat and lunch pail kind of mentality. That's what we want to get back to at Oklahoma. A lot of people, when Lincoln Riley left, that some of it was maybe, you know, fan bases feeling a little bit bitter that you're leaving for the school with palm trees and Hollywood and all that. But there was also, I think, a very legitimate part of this fan base that was very honest in saying, we appreciate what he did for us here at Oklahoma. But to be real, he didn't match up with what we are as a brand and as what we want our football team to look like. And Brent Venables is that for them. So going back to what the Pulse is, they are just getting started. You cannot judge a man by his first year on the job. He doesn't even have all his players in yet. And Brent Venables understands that he does not have the roster currently at the end of 2022 to compete for how they expect to compete in 2023. And if you don't believe me, trust his actions. He went to the portal and got 17 transfers, nine of them on the defensive side of the football. He understands, hey, I got to adapt here. We, we, we don't have a whole bunch of recruiting classes to get in here and eventually figure it out at Oklahoma. It's like, no, 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 the time is now. The time is now. Yes, we're just getting started, but the internal feel with we're just getting started is you haven't even seen anything yet. You haven't even seen what we're going to be. Because last year was inexcusable. And I've said that probably like three or four times now throughout this segment. Nobody's okay with what happened last year. Nobody's signing up for that. Nobody's signing off on that. But with Brent Venables and the personnel he's now added, the defense is going to be, at the very least, they're going to be faster, going to be more talented, going to be more versatile, which is what is required of an Oklahoma defense under Brent Venables. And the offense with Dylan Gabriel, another year under Jeff Levy, if he can stay healthy, they have a chance to build on what they did last year and do some really exciting things. Because all that was said about them being 6-7, and seven, a lot of people forgot to mention the offense still scored over 30 points a game, and they were in every single game. You don't get points for being in every single game, but the fact that you went toe-to-toe with the team in Florida State that's going to be a top 10, top 5 team to start the year, I think deserves some kind of recognition for Oklahoma. So for Oklahoma... They feel like they're just getting started. You can make all the jokes you want about six and seven, make all the jokes about Brent Venables not really being the head coach for Oklahoma and him being over his head. Like, that's fine. They hear all the chatter on the outside, but that fan base and the people in that building, they know what's, what, they're, uh, what they're capable of in 2023. They know they have the second best roster in the entire Big 12 conference. And they're looking at last year and saying last year is last year. We got a new team. We have a new approach. We have more stamina based on what we learned last year. Like, let's go. Let's bounce back. Winners respond. It's what Brent Menable said at Big 12 Media Days. Winners respond. So Oklahoma, the pulse of the program is they're just getting started. They love all the naysayers. They love all the doubt. And they cannot wait to make a statement in 2023. And I can't wait to watch it, to be real with y'all. going to be a whole lot of fun to watch what Oklahoma is. And they're last year in the Big 12. We didn't even really mention that. They're headed to the SEC next year. You don't think Brent Venables understands the sense of urgency they need to be better in the Big in the Big 12 this upcoming season to be better and ready for the SEC? He knows that. He knows all that. So they're going to let him talk, and Oklahoma is going to get ready to handle business. So it'll be a lot of fun to watch. One of the best storylines in college football. All right. As we always do on this show, 
want to involve y'all into the party. There's a lot of y'all that are new to this show, so thank you so much for being tuned in. We talk college football year-round, so if you like college football and you don't want to take a break from it and you wish other outlets would cover it 365 days a year, well, you found your spot. So thank you for being locked in right now. But one of the things that we do on this show is we go to the live chat at the end of our shows and just open it up and kind of have a good old kickback and say, what's on y'all's mind? What are your questions? What are you concerned about? Heck, what are, what are your takes? What are you thinking about this upcoming season in the college football world? So to break that all down with us, we bring on the heavy lifter extraordinaire, the future MVP of the Germantown Kickball League here in Nashville, Tennessee, Nick Brake. Nick, how we doing, big dog? What's up, man? Uh, I've got a pretty intricate question from Slade Swan to open us today. Okay. Um, Ask JD, what would happen if we had a one-loss Tennessee, a one-loss Georgia, and a one-loss SEC champ Alabama? Which one of those would be in the playoffs? Wow. A one-loss Tennessee, a Tennessee, a one-loss Georgia, and a one-loss Alabama. Yeah. Well, my gut would be that Georgia would be the team that lost in the SEC title game. I'm guessing Alabama. So we're kind of filling in some blanks here with who these teams lost to. I think Bama would have lost to LSU. I think Georgia would have lost in the SEC title game. I guess you're saying Tennessee lost to Georgia. So there's a lot of things that go into play there. I think you have to put a one-loss SEC champ into the college football playoff. No way around it. I think that has to be the way that it goes. Best conference in college football. You win the deal with one loss, you're in the dance. So I think Alabama gets in. Then I think the conversation becomes really interesting. In that situation I just laid out, I think Georgia probably finds their way in like they did in 2021. But depending on who ends up losing in that big, or excuse me, in, I guess in that SEC title game, that's a big deal. That is a very, very big deal. And it depends on who that loss is to. So in that scenario I laid out, I think Georgia would get in. But if Tennessee, if, if they have one loss to, let's say, somebody else and, and they beat Georgia and find themselves in the SEC title game, I guess in that situation they would have to have, yeah, they would have had to get to the SEC title game and have to beat Georgia. The losses matter is what I'm trying to say here. My gut would say you probably put a undefeated, if your one loss in the, is in the SEC title game, I think you get in as well. So if we see a one-loss Bama like we did against Georgia in 2021, stick with me, one-loss Bama in the SC title, beat Georgia, Georgia's undefeated, both make it in. Same thing if it's Tennessee. Tennessee's undefeated, losing the SC title game, they're still in. So, yeah, that's a, that's a very intricate question. And uh, knowing the beautiful sport that college football is, we will probably be able to unpack that one in real time in some conference, if not the SEC. But, Nick, what a, what a banger to get us started off, man. How about it? Appreciate yeah, that one you. was kind of a tough one. That was um, a good one, man. Rocky Top Tom, if Ryan Day continues to bumble at, at Ohio State, Venables loses many, as many or more than last year, including against Texas, and Jimbo blows it again at A&M, who's likely to be fired first? Hmm. I, I, I look, That's Rocky tough. Top Tom's always in the chat. He hates all three of these teams. So. Uh, Rocky Top Tom just yeah. choosing violence. Every time, yeah. It's tough for me to imagine a world where Brent Benable gets fired after two years. I think that's tough. It's also tough for me to imagine that Ryan Day gets fired after being like 45 and six as a head coach. Jimbo Fisher is the one that you probably look at the closest 
because of the lack of success there. That would be, I guess, two years in a row where they kind of missed the mark with a really good roster. So that's the one I would want to pick. But Nick, I mean, it's like $70 million to buy my guy out. $70 million. Even to the oil money in College Station, Texas, that is probably too steep of a price tag. So the boring answer and the answer that I truly believe is that none of these guys get fired if that situation were to unfold. But I think the seat that would be the toastiest would probably be Jimbo Fisher. And then a close second, I think, is Brent Venables. If Ryan Day keeps on showing up to Michigan and they lose to Michigan, but they only have one loss on the season, they find themselves in the college football playoff. Like Andy Staples said on this very show, and I 100% agree, if Ohio State wins a national title last year, if that kick goes through the uprights as the clock strikes midnight in Atlanta and they end up beating TCU in the national title game, like we're not even talking about them losing to Michigan. So that's my thought on that. But uh, another... uh, Another scenario where it's like, man, we're so close. We're about to actually get real answers for you there, Rocky Top Tom. Yep. Good one. Uh, Kellup, thanks for the chat. Thanks for the super chat. Uh, Morning, crew. Love your take on Auburn, but I have to ask, who do you think got a better steal as the new head coaches, considering deep pockets and resources? Uh, I think J.D. Naring on the four coaches that you talked about in the opening segment. Man, I'm biased. I think Matt Rule's phenomenal. I think Matt Rule's phenomenal. And I think in terms of the fit for what he is at Nebraska, like I think that was a home run and a half. Uh, I would say 1B for me there would be Hugh Freeze. Like we're going to see what he is long-term with how they are able to put this talent to the field in Auburn, Alabama. But I mean, Matt Rule, the toughness, the development, currently where they are in the Big Ten and the Big Ten West, like I think that was a home run hire for them. And uh, I mean, honestly, if you're Nebraska or you're Auburn or you're Wisconsin, man, I could I probably honestly love all three of those Wisconsin, Auburn, Nebraska, I think are all three in my mind, at least a hires across the board. Now we say that before they played any games, but I mean, I I think all three of those guys are going to be set up for success in the long term at those institutions. I really do, Nick. JD, uh, your first uh, segment really inspired a lot of questions. We've got one more, but first I will say we did put out a poll during your first question asked what first year head coach will find success first said first twice uh it has been razor thin interesting uh and it's gone back and forth coach prime has 23 percent luke fickle has 26 percent matt rule 24 hugh freeze 27 there'd have to be a runoff here because we do not have even remotely near the majority but Hmm. jd hugh freeze now at 28, it just moved up. Wow. Uh, with 207 votes is our is our winner so far. How about that? Keep it going. How about think? that? I, 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 like, I don't hate that. It's just so tough to win in the SEC, man. I mean, you got to play Saban. You got to play Georgia. I mean, you're adding Oklahoma and Texas. Like, the SEC is so tough to get it rolling. And, and Hugh Freeze, we talked about it. He did not inherit a ready-made situation. Now, he's done a lot to improve that roster. They're going to be much better than they would have been if they had not gone to the portal. But it's, it's just so tough to put it together. I like Wisconsin, so I'll, I'll put my vote in for Wisconsin there. Okay. But I, I respect the heck out of the Auburn contingent getting after it and voting, uh, voting Hugh Freeze there. We yeah. got time for one more, Nick? We do. Let's we do sh- it. Yeah. This last question from Jake Hewlett. Um, by the way, if I didn't ask your question today, and there's a few I didn't get to, I see Kay asked a question and a couple others. Uh, just come back on Thursday, and we'll ask away again. Beautiful. Uh, but Jake. Hashtag SJD, what programs do you think are underperforming on the recruiting trail, trail, and then can they right the ship? Hmm, that's a great question. Nick, thank you so much, brother, for jumping on here. Hey, big one tomorrow now. Big one. We got to go four for four, baby. You and I did the math. We sat down, crunched the numbers. 
we didn't really sit down. I guess we walked back to the studio or back to the office from here. But we talked about it going four for four. Legatron going 700. What do you say? Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, I'm in a beer league kickball team, and it's it's not going too well right now. Two and two, two and three, I should say. And uh, yeah, we're about to turn the corner. We're about to bounce back, this baby. I'm ready it. for it. I'm ready yeah. for it. We'll uh, we'll unpack it before we jump on the show and talk about it. But uh, best of luck, Nick. You're about to dominate. So thank you. Appreciate, it, man. See you. Nick Rake, heavy lifter, extraordinaire, doing everything that you see here. We appreciate him so much locking in with us. Who is underperforming on the recruiting trail is the question. And I, I hesitate to even really answer this with too much certainty because when you look at where things are right now, there is so much that is going to happen between now and National Signing Day. And so I think... If I had to give you an answer right now, I would be curious to see what Coach Prime does at Colorado as we get closer to the stretch, we get closer to, you know, having pen meet paper. They've, they've had a lot of they've had a lot of smoke around who they've been in the race for. I think they're going to be a factor for a lot of kids, but when it comes to actually committing and actually landing top guys, I'm curious to see if they don't make a push more in the fall or closer to signing day. So that's the answer I'd probably give right now. I'd maybe expect a little more out of Coach Prime, just given his way that he's attacked the transfer portal. But even so, if your team isn't where you want them to be right now in the on-three industry team recruiting rankings, sit tight, give it some time, and check back in right around early December. And that'll give you a good gauge for where you stand. And even then, watch our signing today show, because I promise a lot of movement will happen on the spectacle that National Signing Day is. All right, again, thank you so much for y'all that are tuned in live. This is truly something that we do not take for granted, that we get to spend time with y'all talking about this sport that we all love so dearly. Incredibly cool, incredibly cool that y'all are tuned in, and thank you for making us a part of your day. All right, now, no more time to be wasted. No more time missing shows. There's a lot of things going on in the recruiting trail, a lot of things going on in the college football world. We got realignment stuff shifting around. Make sure you're subscribed. We got a show live Tuesday, got a show live Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Again, be on the lookout for more news about the schedule going forward. We'll have some updates for you there. Love y'all, man. Appreciate y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time.